Amen. Thank you, Lord, that you love us so much you'd rather die than live without us. And Lord, I pray that we would be men and women who truly are desperate for you at all times. Lord, we would come humbly before you, seeking after you with our whole hearts. Lord, we ask tonight as we go to your word, you'd, you'd be our teacher. Draw us near unto you. Lord, help. I pray for those who are here tonight, Lord, that you've called into different ministries, Lord, and maybe they've been hesitant. May you use your word tonight to ignite a fire in us. Lord, ignite a fire in us to, to, again, be in the center of your will, to know your heart. So, Father, be our teacher. Be at the children's ministries, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. Great to have you here. And again, if you didn't get a Bible earlier, raise your hand because you're going to need one. Amen? All right. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Joshua. So exciting. We're starting a new book tonight. If you haven't been here before, we just go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, right through the Bible. And on Wednesday nights, we started in Genesis, and we went through, we've gone through Deuteronomy. It only took us about four years. But praise the Lord, it's okay. Amen? And so we're, we are now we've done with the Pentateuch. Pentateuch, or the Law of Moses, Penta being five, means the first five books of the Bible, the Law of Moses. And now we're moving from the Law into the book of Joshua. Now I want to take, I'm going to take a little bit of time just to give you an overview on Joshua as I do whenever I start a new book. Joshua historically is the first of what are, are called 12 historical books. They go from Joshua to Esther before you actually get into the prophets. It has a, I could say, book filled with a lot of military conquests, a lot of blood and gore. This would definitely be a book that would be a miniseries of some time on television. And it's a book that has a lot of, again, where God is calling His people now to step out in faith. You know, they miss God's highest, as we saw in, in Exodus and in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, because they were unwilling to step into the land because they were afraid of the giants. Well, now they're finally going to enter into God's highest. And the theme of Joshua is Israel's possession of this promised land and how God wants to do great and awesome things in and through them. Theologically, Joshua teaches the victory and blessing that can come through obedience to the Lord. That act of faith leads to obedience and obedience leads to blessing. God required that the people, again, would have to do things that seemed impossible. You know what, guys? God wants us to step out in faith. And again, I'm not like, you know, that word faith gets abused, sadly. So then we don't want to use it as much as we should because we think, well, everybody's talking about faith and like it's some movable object. But the point is that there are times that God's going to put us in a situation that seems impossible just so we can see Him work. That's when we get to see God work. That's when God gets the glory when we can't take the credit. Amen? When God does something supernatural. And that's God's heart for the children of Israel as they're about to go into the land of promise. And they're going to face some obstacles that seem beyond impossible. We're going to get to Jericho. Imagine marching around a city and blowing trumpets, and that's your battle strategy, right? That seems impossible. But again, God's going to do things like that, again, so that He is glorified, and so they will see Him work in a mighty and a powerful way. The book will also emphasize God's faithfulness to His covenant promises in regards to providing a land for His people, and God's holiness in bringing them into the land. There's some great stories in this book. We're going to see the story next week of Rahab and the, and the, two, and the spies that went into the land. Rahab, 
being a, an eventual heir or ancestor of Jesus Christ. We're going to see them cross over the Jordan. We're going to see the walls of Jericho fall down. And we're going to see the sun standing still, among other things. The book's divided neatly into three geographical settings. First five chapters are around the Jordan River. After that, from chapter 6 to 13, we're going to see them in the land of Canaan. And then finally, we're going to see them settling each of the tribes where they belong in the land of promise. Beginning east of the Jordan as Joshua again replaces Moses, they're going to cross over into that land that they've been looking forward to for so long. Now the book of Joshua undertakes, the, again, that long task of getting them into the land and it'll span about a 15-year period of time. So as we go through from the beginning of Joshua to the end of Joshua, is about a 15-year period of time. Now let me tell you a little bit about the author. The author is Joshua, oddly enough, right? Now, God spent many years preparing this guy. Let me tell you a little bit about his background. Joshua was born a slave in Egypt. And everything that we go through in life is preparation for what God has next. And when he was born a slave in Egypt, he could have never imagined that one day he would be leading three million Israelites into the land of promise. Now, being born a slave in Egypt, also, we found out that his parents originally named him Hoshea. Hoshea, which means salvation, which tells me he had godly parents. Because your parents don't name you salvation when you're in bondage in Egypt unless they believe in God. Amen? You might name them despair or, you know, brick maker or something, right? But instead, they're in bondage in Egypt and they named him Salvation because they believed that God would and could still deliver them. But what's awesome is that when Moses met him, he changed his name from Hoshea to Joshua. And Joshua means Jehovah is Salvation. And as we know, Joshua's name transliterated is also Jesus. And we've talked about this repeatedly, and we will in a moment again, that the law couldn't bring him in, but Joshua did. Joshua was a firstborn son of none, and he was living in Egypt. So what does that mean at Passover? At Passover, who would have died had there not been blood on the doorpost? Joshua. Remember that in that time when Passover came, they were commanded by God that they needed to take the blood of the lamb and put it in the shape of a cross. And if that blood was not applied to the doorpost and to the top of the door and the foot of the door, the footstool, then what would happen? Then the person inside would die, the eldest, and that would have been Joshua. So Joshua, his name means Jehovah is salvation, and he was also one who was delivered and saved by the blood of the lamb. Picture of Jesus, Amen. And Joshua himself was saved that very way. Joshua also saw the Red Sea open. He was there when it happened. Now, Joshua, a lot of people think that when Joshua's leading these Canaanites in, as I'm going to talk about in a minute, that he's some yoked young guy. Don't you picture that? I mean, I have to confess. And I, I mentioned Joshua going and fighting the Amalekites. I kind of think of, you know, a guy who's like 6'4", buff, and about 28 years old. But the truth is that when Joshua left Egypt, he was 55. That means 40 years later, as they're about to go into Canaan, he's 95. So that means God can use any of us, amen? Praise the Lord. Now, Joshua saw the sea open. He walked through on dry land. He saw the sea close up on the people. He was a man of faith who knew the Lord, who trusted in the Lord. But not only was he a slave, he was a soldier. 
Because as I just said, the first battle, the first time we see Joshua in the Bible mentioned by name, is when they're fighting the Amalekites in Exodus 17. Remember the story? Moses went up on the mount, as long as he held up his hands, they were victorious. And who was out there fighting with the Amalekites? Joshua. So Joshua was not only a slave, Joshua was also a soldier, a faithful soldier. Not only that, Joshua was a servant. The Bible tells us that Joshua was a servant to Moses. And the word there for servant means assistant, a right-hand man. He was Moses' main guy. And as his main guy, what did he do? He had a passion and a heart to serve God by serving and ministering to Moses. When Moses went up on Mount Sinai, there's only one person that went with him. Joshua. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai and they were having the big party around the golden calf, who was still with Moses? Joshua. He waited 40 days at the foot of that mountain. He didn't leave. He was a, he was a slave. He was a soldier. And he was also a servant. He also was assigned to guard Moses' tent. There was a tent outside the camp that Moses would go to to worship the Lord, and the cloud, the presence of God, would fall upon it. So that also tells me that Joshua was a worshiper because he also spent time in intimate fellowship with God, just being with Moses as Moses interceded with the Lord. So Joshua, a slave, a soldier, a servant, a worshiper, all of these things, no doubt, Joshua's going through them having no idea that God's going to use him to bring three million people again into the land of promise. And then lastly, we see, or second to last, we see that Joshua was also a spy. Do you remember they sent the 12 spies into the land? They went to spy out Canaan. This is 40 years earlier when they first got to the outside of that land. And Joshua and Caleb came back and gave a good report said, these guys are like nothing, let's go take care of them. The land's flowing with milk and honey. If God is for us, who can be against us? Let's go take care of these guys. The other ten spies said, oh, we're like grasshoppers to them. They'll kill us. If we go in there, we'll die for sure. And sadly, the people listened to the ten instead of listening to the two. And the 11-day journey turned into a 40-year death march, and that entire generation died except for Joshua and Caleb. Everybody else died. Everybody over the age of 20 died. Why? Because they were afraid to enter into the land. But we see Joshua's heart, a slave, a soldier, a servant, a worshiper, and one who came back with a good report when nobody else did. And that tells me that Joshua wasn't worried about being popular. You know what? We need people like that, amen? Joshua didn't care what people thought. He didn't care what the ten spies thought. He didn't care what the three million people thought. All he said was, you know what? Our God will whip these guys. He told us we can get them. Let's go. I love Joshua. And praise God for him. Again, knowing he was right, he would not back down from the majority. He stood alone with Caleb. Again, he risked his own life. But Joshua had faith in God and his word. A slave, a soldier, a servant, a worshiper, a faithful spy. And it was all part of God's preparation to make him a successor. He takes the place of of Moses. And again, I'm sure that he never in his wildest dreams thought this was going to happen. I'm sure he thought, I'm called to hold up Moses' hands. I'm called to be his assistant. This is what I'm supposed to do, and I'm blessed to do it. What a privilege that I get to do this. And he had no idea that Moses, because of his disobedience, would be removed, and he instead would take his place. Now, 
from a perspective of a spiritual application, then I promise we're going to get to the text. I only do this at the beginning of the book, all right? All right, all right, bear with me. But context is key, isn't it? Understanding, we're going to spend the next several months in this book, I want you to know where it's coming from. Now, from a spiritual application for you and I today, what in the world is Joshua pointing to? Well, let me tell you, it points to the Spirit-filled life. The law is a picture, again, starting in Egypt and bondage and then coming out of bondage in Exodus and then going over the Red Sea, a picture of water baptism and then heading through the wilderness encamped in the cross. Again, the Shekinah glory of Almighty God upon them, a picture of the Spirit being inside of us and heading to the land of promise, that place, again, of God's highest, that place of that Spirit-filled life. And sadly, that they didn't cross over the Jordan and they missed out on it. The Jordan River, as we're going to see as we go through Joshua, is a picture of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, I find it interesting that at the beginning of ministry, every person you see in the Bible that's used mightily by God must first have something happen to them. They must have the Holy Spirit upon them. It doesn't matter who you look at, but give you one, one great example. How about Jesus? He's God, right? He's Almighty God in the flesh. And yet, how did His ministry begin? It began in the Jordan River, the very same Jordan River. And as He was baptized, He came up and the Holy Spirit descended upon Him like a dove at the beginning of His ministry. Joshua, we know, it said in the end of Deuteronomy that the Spirit of wisdom was upon Him. Again, pointing to the Holy Spirit. So for you and I, Jesus... Public ministry began in the Jordan. Crossing over the Jordan is a picture of the very same Holy Spirit coming upon us. That we go from wandering in the wilderness, not being satisfied with just being delivered out of bondage. And here's the thing, you guys. This is from my heart, and you know I love you. But I believe that most Christians, at least many if not most, are stuck in the wilderness. I've been saved, I'm born again, I'm going to heaven, that's good enough but not experiencing God's highest, not having the spirit of the living God upon them, having God be not just who they know, but all they have and all they need and all they want and all they desire. And that's what this book is all about, going beyond just being satisfied with the get out of hell free card, just being satisfied with the being delivered from bondage and knowing that I'm going to heaven, but really wanting all that God has for me. I want it all, Lord, everything you have for me. I don't want to settle for less. I don't want to be encamped outside of the land of promise. So what I love about the Old Testament is that the Old Testament is like a big picture book. The New Testament, again, the Bible tells us that you can see theological truths in the New Testament that are hard to understand sometimes. You look at them, you try to understand, they're difficult. And you know what? God gives us a picture in the Old Testament for every New Testament principle. You look at any New Testament principle, I can show you the Old Testament picture. You know, how many pictures of the cross do you think there are in the Old Testament? I've never counted, but it's in the hundreds, if not the thousands, of pictures of the cross. So those New Testament principles are revealed in an Old Testament picture, and this is the picture of the baptism of the Holy Spirit of having a life of the Spirit of the living God upon you. And again, we need those pictures because sometimes we're just plain thick. Now, don't get me wrong. Being saved is key, and that's crucial, and that's first and foremost. But may we not be satisfied just with salvation. 
May we desire everything that God has for us. And by the way, of just personal testimony really quick. You know, I want to relate to you, and I know some of you have heard it, and I don't do this a lot, but I remember, you know, being a, I've been a Christian since I was four and a half. I got saved in Mrs. Green's class at the First Baptist Church of Wilmington. She had a little flannel board and gave an altar call, and I raised my hand, and she prayed the sinner's prayer with me, and she gave me a little white Bible to take home with me. And, you know, and I was born again, and there's not a doubt in my mind I was saved that day. And you know what? I've, for the most part, I've served the Lord most of my life. I've not really had times of rebellion where I rejected God and I walked away. But I also can tell you this. I can tell you that there's been times, there was a time in my life, even up into my early 20s, where while I was absolutely a Christian, and while even some of my friends called me preacher boy and things like that, and I had a heart for God, I can tell you this, God was not always first in my life. My career at one point, playing college football, just different things, Again, never stop being a Christian, never would have denied God, would stand up and challenge my biology teacher in high school when he'd teach evolution. I, I, I did that. He'd say evolution. I'd say, theory of, from the back row. <laughs> and he'd say, if you say that one more time, and I'd say, well, if you say evolution one more time, it's a theory. I got in trouble. My dad high-fived me when I got suspended for two days. It was okay. But the point is that in the midst of all of that, in the midst of all of that, I remember driving home from work. We were living in Lancaster, my wife and I, and I was in my 20s. And I'm driving home from work, and I literally pulled off on an off-ramp, and I just was weeping that, man, God, I know you want to do more with me. And I didn't even understand what that meant. I just knew there was something more that God wanted to do with me. And I remember praying on the side of the road, Lord, whatever it is. And part of what had happened was I'd been so successful in sales. I'd broken every record, done everything that I, you know, the goals you set for yourself. And it still was like, okay, so what? So what? What does this mean in comparison to eternity? It means nothing. And the following Sunday, our pastor got up and said, if there's anybody here who feels like God wants to do more with them, was he in my car? You know, I'm starting a class called cross training, a discipleship class for guys today at two o'clock. And the third weekend there, he asked me to be the youth pastor, and I, my life's never been the same. But it was a prayer on the side of the road, and I didn't have any tingles or anything. I just said, Lord, I want all of you. I just, Lord, whatever it is, I'll do whatever. I don't care. I'll quit my job. Lord, whatever you want me to do. And I didn't even know what that meant. And you know what? That's where God wants us to be. Get us to that place, Lord, where, Lord, I want all, all of you, not some of you. Not just being satisfied in the wilderness, but Lord, I want to cross over the Jordan, and I want to be in the land of promise, and I want my life to count for eternity. Lord, use me completely. Let me not be satisfied. My prayer is as we go through this book, that you will have a heart and a passion burning within you to let God do more to long for more. And that's where Israel is. Israel's camped outside the land of promise. And how are they going to get in? What's going to bring them there? Who's going to bring them there? It's going to be Joshua. Joshua's name, Yahshua. Jehovah is salvation. Because Moses being the law, the law can't get you in. Amen? Only Jesus can. And that's exactly what we saw here. So, let's begin in Joshua chapter 1. Title the message, tonight, responding to God's call. So everything we look at, I'm, my heart is as we go through Joshua, certainly each message will have its own title, but I believe the central theme 
is, again, exper experiencing that spirit-filled life. How to have that spirit-filled life. And so every time we look at a chapter, I'm going to be pointing back to that. Pointing back to experiencing all that God has for you. The Holy Spirit not just with you or in you, but upon you. Now, that begins by responding to God's call. The four points tonight are the Lord appoints Joshua to succeed Moses. Then the Lord encourages Joshua. And then Joshua is faithful to deliver God's word to the people. And finally, the people respond. And you know what? That's what happens when someone's called. When someone is called by God, God calls them, He encourages them, they step out in faith, and the people respond. That's what God does. If God's in it, this is exactly what happens. So let's begin looking at responding to God's call as the Lord appoints Joshua to succeed Moses. After, verse 1, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. You know what? Even though Moses has died, his legend, whatever you want to call it, the person he was, lives on. Because every time, almost every time you see Moses' name, what do you see right after it? The servant of the Lord. Can you imagine any greater tagline that you could possibly have? Moses, the servant of the Lord. Now this is clearly a continuation of Deuteronomy, because how did Deuteronomy end? Moses died. And how does verse 1 of Joshua start? After the death of Moses. Moses was a great leader. He was a mighty man of God. The Bible tells us he was the foremost of all the prophets. It says in Deuteronomy 34, there was not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses whom the Lord knew face to face. But again, probably the greatest attribute of all was not even, again, the fact that he was an acquaintance of the Lord. Not just that he knows about the Lord, but that he indeed was a servant of the Lord. Are you a servant? Don't answer the question. Are you a servant of the Lord or do you just know him? Can I tell you that that's the number one question I ask people, you know, is a person of the Lord? Are you, where are you at? Well, I believe in Jesus. Okay, that's great. But believing that there is a God does not mean you're born again. Amen? Even believing that Jesus died on the cross doesn't mean you're born again. Believing that He rose from the dead doesn't mean you're born again. Believing that the Bible is the Word of God doesn't mean you're born again. At some point, there must be brokenness over our sin and repentance and seeking to make Him not just Savior, but Lord of my life. Amen? That's the difference. So people say, well, I believe in Jesus. Well, great. And that's wonderful. I'm not downplaying that. But it better be more than that. And He's more than just the leader of Israel. He's a servant of the Lord. May we be servants of the Lord. Again, how do you replace a man like Moses? The greatest prophet who ever lived. That's what the Bible says. Man who saw God face to face. Just his backside of his glory, but he was glowing in the dark. Moses, the guy who gave them the law. Moses, who dealt with, you know, three million murmurers leading them through the wilderness. Moses, who's who God spoke to at the burning bush, who delivered them out of bondage in Egypt, who God used to part the Red Sea. How do you replace that guy? But here's the thing. He's just a man. Amen. He's a man. God is in control. Nothing happens apart from God. And even the death or removal of a great leader is all part of God's plan. Moses was a great leader, a prophet, a servant of the Lord. But you know what? He died in accordance to God's plan. Looking back, we can see again a few reasons why. We know Moses disobeyed. He smote the rock when he wasn't supposed to. And also the type, Moses being the law, could not bring 
the people in. Now I want to say this too. It's important that too often we make the mistake of following men. And if that were the case here, when Moses died, everybody would have ran back to Egypt. And too often that happens even in churches today. There's some man who's a figurehead of a ministry and he dies or moves or falls from grace or whatever it might be and the church falls apart. You know what that tells me? That's a church that was founded on a man, not on the Lord. I'm going to share this with you. I'm going to tell you and I'm going to encourage you. I'm not teaching next Wednesday. We got a guy coming from New York, a church that I have a burden for us to support, be a sister church to. I told you his name's Scott. Lumley, pray for him. I invited him out to the pastor's conference. He's out there planning a church where there's no Calvaries nearby. He's been there for a while. It's really hard ground. The church is finally starting to grow. I met him when I was visiting some friends back there. You know, we're just, our hearts have been knit together. And now I really feel a call to, you know, help him, minister to him, minister him any way I can. And for us to be a sister church to them, for us to, how can we help you? How can we bless you? What can we do? We're even looking into going on the radio out there with our radio program, and then having a tagline pointing him to his church. How can we minister to you? And since he's going to be here, I want us to be praying for him. We're going to put his family on our missions board, and he's going to be here next Wednesday night. And I thought, you know what? If we're going to pray for you, we need to get to know you, so why don't you teach for me Wednesday? Let me say this. If we're a healthy church, you'll all be here next Wednesday. Amen? Amen? Not, oh, Pastor Dave's not going to be there. I'm not coming. And you know what? That breaks my heart. That doesn't flatter me. That breaks my heart. That tells me, man, I need to teach the Bible better because these people aren't listening. <laughs> Amen? People call our office, and this is you, feel convicted. People call our office and will ask at 5 o'clock on Wednesday, is Pastor Dave going to be there? I, you know, I feel like telling the guys, just tell them you don't know or something. I don't know. Because, oh, he's not? Okay. I'm not coming. I'm not going to be there. You know, I go on vacation, I don't even tell you guys. Figure it out. You go, you come to church on Sunday, I thought, where, where is he? He's in India. Oh, I didn't, I didn't know he was going, right? Why do I do that? Because I'm afraid someone's not going to, the point is it needs to be built on the Lord, not a man, amen? The Word of God is what's being taught, not the, the person who delivers it. And Moses was just a man, God is still in control. And we don't build the foundation on Moses, the foundation is built upon the Lord. And it says, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua. Now I love this, because we saw in Deuteronomy that Moses already laid hands on Joshua, didn't he? He laid hands on him, and it says he inaugurated him as the next leader of Israel. It said the spirit of wisdom was upon him. But yet we still see that God spoke directly to Joshua. You know what that tells me? That God calls everyone who's called, directly. Men don't call men, God does. Men may recognize it, but God's the one who does the calling. Amen? And so even though Moses recognized it, Moses laid hands on him, it was still the Lord who spoke directly to Joshua. And I'll tell you, does that blow your mind? Think about that for a minute. That means God will say to you, I want you to be involved in the children's ministry. And he'll talk directly to you. I have a heart for you to do this ministry or that ministry or move to Santa Cruz. Like God very clearly put upon my heart and I know it was the Lord. See, at some point we need to be listening so we can hear his voice because when God calls us, God will sustain us. Amen? But if men call you, then men have to keep, prop you up. People get mad at me because I won't tell you to do anything. Pastor Dave, just tell me what to do. I'm not going to do that. Because if I tell you, you'll do it for me and then you're going to get tired because you're doing it for me. 
And I'll have to call you at home and make sure. Are you going to show up and set up the chair? I don't want to do that. So I just let God call you. Amen? I may let you know what the needs are at times, but let God call. And God, I love that he speaks directly to Joshua. Do you think Joshua might be encouraged hearing directly from God? Well, Moses told me, but I'm not so sure. You know, Moses, but you know, he's a good guy, but man, I'm not Moses. Lord says, Joshua, it's you. Okay, let's go, right, amen? The point is we need to hear that call, and then we need to respond to that call. Moses had died, and here comes Joshua again. His name is the Lord of Jehovah's salvation, and he's going to take them into the place where Moses couldn't. And it says, the son of Nun, doesn't mean he's a Catholic, Moses' assistant. Now, he had served and ministered to Moses for 40 years, as I talked about in the opening, a slave, a soldier, a servant, a spy, all in preparation of becoming his successor. We don't understand that to what depth that everything we go through is preparation for what's next. But may we learn to, to trust God. May we learn that whatever trial we're in is preparation for what God has next. The word, therefore, assistant means minister or under rower. Pastor. Pastor is under rower. What does an under rower do? Anybody seen that movie, uh, Ben Hur? Those guys in the bottom of the ship and the guys going, right? It's one of my favorite movies, by the way. Jesus all over that movie if you haven't seen it. But they're down there rowing and nobody even knows they're down there. I mean, they might know, but no one's going down and checking on them, right? And they're down there just, you know, the drum beats and they just go. And what is their whole focus? Why are they there? Because they have to be in their case. But why would you be there if you wanted to be? It's just to get the people above you where they need to be. And that's what a pastor or a minister is called to do, to get the people above them where they need to be. I'm called to minister to you to be the under rower to encourage and equip you to get you where you need to be. Only the Holy Spirit can do that, but may I be a tool in his hands. And the point is here that that was Moses, that Joshua's heart toward Moses. I'm just here to get you where you need to be. I'm just here to serve you, to minister to you, to help you in any way that I can. And Joshua's faithfulness and obedience, he had an incredible servant's heart, made him the perfect man to lead the people into God's highest. The Bible says in Mark 10, And whosoever of you will be chief among you shall be servant of all. And even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Let me tell you right now, those who cannot serve or follow will never lead. Or if they try to, they won't be very successful. I encourage every person I meet coming out of any kind of Bible college, I say, go be someone's assistant for a while. My dad, who went straight into being a senior pastor, would be the first one to tell you that if he could do it all over again, he'd have gone and served as an assistant for somebody somewhere. And you know what? I was an assistant pastor for almost 15 years, and I wouldn't give a day of it back because God used it to teach me so many things. And you know what? This is exactly what God's been doing with Joshua. Joshua was willing to follow and willing to serve, and he was humble, so that's why God allowed him to lead. It wasn't because he was arrogant. It wasn't because he was yoked. It wasn't because he was the most gifted. He wasn't King Saul. Instead, he was a servant and a slave and a spy, a man who God could use. Verse 2, 
Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise and go. Though Moses had already laid hands on Joshua again, the Lord is making it very clear that you are the one that I've called. You're the one that before the foundation of the world, you were my plan always. It was never Moses, it was always you. You thought it was Moses because you didn't know better. You don't see, you know, you're encapsulated in time. You don't understand. I've already seen the beginning from the end. And I always knew it was going to be you, Joshua. And I'm calling you. And Moses is dead, so now it's time for you to go. And it says there, over the Jordan. Now, over this Jordan to the land which I am giving them. Now, the land he had already given them. You know, with God, everything's already done. Did you know that? We sweat the details. For God, he doesn't because it's already done. We're like, well, what is going to happen? We got to, you know, what's going to happen? What are we going to do? What are you going to do about the gas prices? You know, what are we going to do about the New Orleans? What are we going to do about going on in Iraq? What you know what? God's in control. Amen? God knew all of it. God's faithful. Trust the Lord. Amen? People ask me those questions all the time. What are we going to do? I'm like, I'm going to trust God. How about you? That's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to keep trusting God. I'm going to keep trusting the Alpha and the Omega, the creator of the universe, the beginning and the end. He's in control. He's faithful. And he's telling them, you're going to take them over this Jordan into land that I am giving them, and later he'll say, I have given them. The land already belongs to the children of Israel. It was God's foreordained plan. Verse 3, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. God, again, had already given it to them, and now how much land were they going to get was dependent upon them. He said, wherever you put your foot, it's yours. You step out, I'll give it to you. As far as you want to walk, you can have it. It's up to you. Do you know what? God's telling us the same thing tonight. You can be as close to God as you want to be. You can be used by God as much as you desire to be. The Bible says, The eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole are seeking one he can show himself strong on account of one whose heart is loyal to him. God's looking for not a message. God's not looking for a method. God's not looking for... Anything else. He's looking for a man or a woman. That's what he's looking for. Someone will say, here I am, Lord, use me. You know what? He'll answer that prayer every time. And this is Joshua. Lord, I'm here. And he says, when you guys go in, whatever, you, whatever land you put your feet on, I'm going to give to you. You have my word. Now, he is already, what is he doing? He's telling Joshua his calling, and now he's making the calling very clear to him. Take them over the land, and wherever you go, that land's yours. I'm going to take care of it. Now, here's the sad part. How far did they go? We're going to see in verse 4 that 300,000 square miles God allotted to them. And guess how many square miles they took? 30,000. One-tenth of what God had for them. You know what? I believe that that's probably true of many Christians today. God wants to do ten times as much with us as we'll let Him. He won't force Himself on us. He won't force us to be used. He's just looking for a willing vessel. He's not looking for ability, but availability. He's just looking for someone to say, I'm right here, Lord, I'll do it. Lord, I'm a stutterer. That was Moses. Moses was a stuttering shepherd. I need a deliverer. I think I'll get a stuttering shepherd, right? Is that who you would pick? But Moses was available. And God used him in a mighty way. When God calls us and leads us, it says there in the rest of that verse, 
It says, that side that you tread upon, I have given you. So it already belongs to them. God has already gone before them. I'm going to give it to you. Just step out. Trust me. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. So God gives them clear outlines. From Lebanon to the Euphrates to the Mediterranean Sea to the Arabian Desert. All yours. You walk on it, I'll give it to you. It already belongs to you. Go get it. And God again would have some of the same exhortations for us. This is a great and fruitful land, but guess what else was in that land? Sin. Sin. Amen. And enemies. Both. Sin and enemies. Remember he told them when you went in, what are they supposed to do? Wipe out all the enemies and destroy all their idols. Why? Because he knew they'd start worshiping their idols if they didn't. And he says, go into the land, and this is a huge land. I've got it for you. But when you get there, the enemy's going to be waiting for you. Now let me ask you a question. Could God have just wiped out all the enemies before he even sent them in? Of course he could. He's God. Whenever you ask, could God, the answer is always yes. Except could God sin? The answer is no. Amen? But every other time, the answer is yes. Now, why did he leave the enemies there? You know why? Because without opposition we need not have any faith. Without opposition, we cannot grow spiritually. You cannot become a mature Christian without going down some difficult roads and without facing some overwhelming enemies. So God purposely left the enemies there. He said, Joshua, go. Joshua, wherever you put your foot, it's yours, but Joshua, uh, the enemies are staying. Go, with, go out and I, I will bless you and I will defeat them for you. So the Lord has appointed Joshua to succeed Moses, and now he's going to encourage Joshua. And the way he's going to encourage him, he's going to promise to be with him. Look at verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. If you underline stuff in your Bible, get your pen out. That is a great verse. Amen? He says... No one shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Now, is that an encouraging word to Joshua or what? Joshua's 95. He's got three million whiners with him. He's going in and there's giants in the land. And God says, don't worry about it. I'm with you. That's all I needed to hear. You plus God is a majority. Amen? We know Joshua's already a faithful man. And now God says, I'm on your side, Joshua. I'm with you wherever you go. Joshua, as you step out and lead my people, no one can stop you. And you know what, guys? As we respond in faith that God's calling upon our life, no one can stop us. People cannot stop the gospel. I don't care what, how many times, how many laws they pass, how many things they want to do, you can't shut the gospel up. Amen? And it can't, as best you can't shut it up if we won't shut up. Amen? Amen? We're the tool that God uses more than anything else. And it's interesting to me that in areas of greatest persecution, you see the greatest revival often. And you know what? Maybe we need a little bit of that. Maybe we need a little bit of difficulty and trials and struggles to find out where we really stand with the Lord. And if you know, if you show, if showing up to church next Wednesday meant you'd have to go to jail, how many people would show up? Hopefully we'd be here, amen? Hopefully we'd just be here. Say, well, praise the Lord, because God is with us. And he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The battle won't be won because of how mighty we are, but who we're with. 
I remember when I was a little kid, my brother Mark was five and a half years older than me, and he was always kind of a big guy. Big muscles, always working out and stuff. And nobody ever messed with me. Because they knew who my brother was. I remember one time, a guy was in the pool, and he was kind of pushing me around, and, and someone said, that's Mark's little brother. Oh, dude, I'm sorry. And I mean, he's all apologetic. Because my big brother was a big guy, and he might smash him. And I'm thinking, you know what? What's better than having a mark for your big brother? Have an almighty God as your best friend. Amen? Amen. Who am I with? Who do I have to worry about? If God is for us, who can be against us? This was Joshua's understanding. Look, I'm never going to leave you, Joshua. I'm never going to step away from you. When you get to Jericho, it's going to be tough. I'm going to tell you something that will seem impossible to you, but remember, I'm with you. When you go and face the other enemies in the land and you're outnumbered, I'm with you. When the people are whining, I'm with you. Trust me. Keep going, Joshua. My hand is upon you. Man, how encouraged should we be when we hear those kinds of words? Joshua, step out. Know that I'm with you. I can think of no more encouraging words in the midst of enemies and a difficult life than to know that the Lord is with me. That same promise applies to you today. The Lord is with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. You know what's interesting? I, I write notes in my Bible, and I've had the same Bible for about 15 years. And I have in the margin next to that verse, it's, it's in 1996, I have San Jose bound. Lord, I don't know what you're going to do with us. Help me, Lord, to know your heart, to be strong and courageous and to do your will. And Lord, I know there's people you're calling me to minister to. Lord, your will be done. Lord, I'm resting in the fact that you will never leave me nor forsake me. I have fear and trembling in my heart, but I can't wait to see what you're going to do. I look at those notes, I'm blessed. That was almost 10 years ago. I had no idea we are going to end up in Santa Cruz, but God already knew, and he has not left us, amen? And no matter what's happened, no matter what the obstacles are, he's faithful. And it doesn't matter. God is such a good God. Even if we live in Santa Cruz, amen? That so desperately needs Jesus. Why, why else are we here? We're here because this place needs Jesus, amen? I wouldn't want to be in a church, where, a, a city where 98% of the people were Christians. Who would you witness to? Amen? Let's be in a place where not that many people know the Lord and we picked it. Amen? Verse 6. Be strong and of good courage. Look, in light of the fact that God's with you, be bold. Step out in faith. Don't be afraid. What is your source of strength? Zechariah 4, 6 says, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Where does your strength come from? The Holy Spirit. How can you step out and be bold? Only because of the Holy Spirit living within you. Acts chapter 1, the Holy Spirit came upon, he promised of the Holy Spirit coming upon them in Acts chapter 2 when he did, what happened? Boldness. Amen? If you're struggling, we need more of the Spirit. That Spirit-filled life. We need to cross over the Jordan. We need to experience the Holy Spirit being poured out, not just with us or in us, but upon us, and get out of the way and watch what God's going to do. Because that's when there's less of us and there's more of Him. Our strength, not in our efforts, but it comes from the power of of the living God. And as we saw with each of those ministries we mentioned earlier, that they began with the Holy Spirit coming upon them. Be strong and of good courage. For this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to the fathers to give to them. So again, you're going to go into the land, you're going to bring them in, and you're going to divide up their inheritance in the land of Canaan. Only be strong and very courageous. 
that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. So which is it? He says here, it's the law. What does he tell him to do? What's his exhortation? Do all according to what? The the law. Wait a minute. Is it the Spirit or is it the law? He says here, do all according to the law. Well, guess what, guys? It's both. Amen? Because without the law, people, without the Word of God, people will take the Holy Spirit and abuse the Holy Spirit. Won't they? People, oh, the Spirit told me. The Spirit told me. Well, if you don't have the Bible, you can say the Spirit told you anything. Amen? You'll be all over the map. you got no direction. There's no, there's, you know what I mean? There's no authority. I've had people say this to me. Well, the Holy Spirit was so heavy on our, on our church on Sunday, we had no time to be in the Bible. The Holy Spirit won't do that. Amen? Because the Holy Spirit illuminates the Word of God, doesn't take away from it. Amen? And the Word of God confirms the move of the Holy Spirit. So he's telling them that we need both. He says, make sure you be obedient to the law. You're going to go out empowered by my spirit, but make sure you walk in obedience to the law that I gave unto Moses. You know what? He's being called by God. He's being called to lead the people, but he's also being called to be an example to the people. I believe those that are called by God to be in ministry should live a life before the people that represents God. I believe every Christian that should be true, but especially those in ministry especially those that are serving God and being those who are called by God to teach others. Joshua was called to be obedient to the Father as he was indwelt by the Spirit that he might have victory over the enemy. That's exactly what Jesus did. The Spirit of God came upon Jesus and he obeyed the Father, didn't he? Not my will, but thy will be done. Jesus said that to the Father. And again, he says, Do not turn to the right or the left that you may prosper wherever you go. To effectively lead God's people, Joshua needed to be a man who was faithful to God's word. Not to turn from it in either direction, not to deny it, forget it, or water it down. Amen? He's saying, Joshua, the word of God, don't turn from the right to the right, don't turn to the left, keep your eyes right on it. There's a temptation in the church today. Water the Bible down so we don't offend people. Let's preach to man's felt needs. Let's send out a survey and find out what people want in a church and then give them that. Where's that in the Bible? You got a verse for that? You know what? Then who's the center of the church? Man is. Amen? If we're all trying to fulfill man's needs, then who's the head of the church when we're Ministering to the needs of man. Man is. Guess what? Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Not man. And we come here to learn more of him and to draw near to him, not to have our needs met. Oh, that church doesn't meet my needs. Show me that in the Bible. Give Give me a verse for that. You know what you need? You need Jesus. Amen? And if they don't preach Jesus there, you're right. Go find a church that will preach Jesus and your needs will be met in Him. Amen? But too often we're looking, well, they don't have this club or this thing or this ministry or that. And we've got to find these other things so that we can be, you know, all my needs being met. No, that's not in the Bible. Joshua, don't turn to the right, don't turn to the left, teach the Word of God, don't compromise, and live it out before the people. 
Don't water it down. Don't try to be something else so you'll be more acceptable to man. And how do you walk in the Word? How do you walk in the Word? Well, verse 8. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. You want to walk in the Word? Spend time in it. Amen? I'm amazed at how often I hear that. People, well, I'm struggling. Well, how much time are you in the Word? Well, I don't really read my Bible anymore. It's kind of hard, you know. If I'm going to get my four hours of soap operas in and my two hours of Xbox, I don't know how much time I'm going to have for the Word. Amen? I mean, come on. I sit in some people in the kitchen. I know it, right? It's the point is that we, we give God five minutes and then we wonder why we got five minutes worth of faith. Amen? We don't spend time in the Word, and we wonder why we're not being bold. We wonder why we're not using our gifts more. God's not speaking to me. You're not listening. Amen? He's always speaking. It's right here. You know, blow the, du- blow the dust off. It's okay. Get that thing out right. Amen? If you have to look for your Bible every week because you haven't seen it since last week, that's not good. Amen? Kids in the youth group, youth group would leave their Bible at church. I would hide it and wait for them to come ask for it. Because I want to figure out how long it took them to figure out it was missing. After two months, I call them in. I go, hey, bro, I've had this for two months. What have you been reading? Archie Comics? What have you been reading? Read the book. Don't wait for the movie, man. You've got to meditate. Now, the word for meditate there is murmur. And literally what it means is to speak the word out loud. Can I encourage you, if you haven't done this, when you read the Bible, read it out loud sometimes. Because if you read it quietly in your head, you can start to wonder. Is that true or not? You're looking at your Bible, and I need to go to the grocery store after this, and I think we need some mayonnaise. You know what I mean? Some of you are doing that right now. You're doing your grocery list in your head as we're sitting here. But if you speak it out loud, it's very hard for you to be thinking about other things. Amen? Speak it out loud. What he's saying is meditate on it. Chew it up. Take it to heart. Spend time in it. You want to walk in it? You got to spend time in it. It's impossible. No shortcuts. We don't need self-help programs. We need God's Word. Spend time and it'll transform your life. It's been said, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. Spend time in this book and it'll help you to have a walk focused on God. We need to be filled with the Spirit and led by the Word. And what will happen? Look what it says. That you may observe and do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Is he talking about money? No, he's not. He's saying, you know what? You walk in the Word, you meditate on the Word, you're led by the Spirit, you're going to have a fruitful life. A fruitful life that's going to impact eternity. You're not going to need Prozac. Amen? You're not going to need the things of this world. You're not going to need that drink when you get home. You're not going to need any of that. You know why? You're going to be high on Jesus. Amen? You're going to be filled with the Spirit. You're going to be led by Him. Your life's going to make sense. You're going to understand what it's all about. You'll have Him. And your life will be prosperous. It will be bearing great fruit. In Colossians 3, it says, Let the word of God dwell in you, and psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing will come forth. You know what's interesting? In Ephesians 5, it says, Be filled with the Spirit, and it says the exact same list. Songs and hymns. You know why? Because the word and the Spirit produce the same results. 
And we need them both. Amen? Amen? Can't have the Word without the Spirit and can't have Spirit without the Word. God is Spirit and they must worship Him in Spirit and in truth, pointing to the Word of God. Joshua was called to lead and his ability to lead would be proportionate to his own intimate fellowship with God. You know what? You want to have an impact in the children's ministry, if that's where you're ministering. You want to have an impact with your co-workers. You spend time in the Lord. You meditate on His Word, and you're going to be pouring out on those folks. You're going to, they're going to see Jesus in you. The Holy Spirit's going to be pouring out of you. It's going to happen. The joy of the Lord. Are most people joyous that you know? Are they whining about everything? You know what? If I didn't have Jesus, I'd be the biggest whiner ever. If you don't have Jesus, what, what's good if you don't have God? I don't get it, right? I'm getting older. Gas prices are going up. Can't afford to buy a house around here. I mean, you know, people just walk around, uh, right? And if you don't know God, it's pretty hopeless. But if you have the Lord, you're led by His Spirit. You're, you, know, you know His Word. You know where you're headed, amen? He'll never leave you nor forsake you. You're going to prosper in whatever you put your hands to. If you walk in the center of God's will, man, praise God. Doesn't matter how much gas costs. Doesn't matter what else is going on. Have I not commanded you? Have I not commanded you, Joshua, to lead the people into Canaan, to observe the law of Moses, to be strong and of good courage, to not be afraid or be dismayed, because I'm going to go with you wherever you go? Joshua's success was guaranteed by God's presence. And then he says, Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You know what, guys? This is a word for Christians today. Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid. Do we have anything to be afraid of? Answer is no. God has not given us the spirit of fear. Amen? The enemy tries to, but God doesn't. We don't have, we don't have to be afraid of anything. I'll, I'll confess to you, the things that I would probably fear the most, if anything, would probably be for my kids. Who can bear witness with that? Okay, you know, but you know what? They're God's kids before they're mine. And God's hand's upon them, and I need to let God be the God of their life. Amen? And trust the Lord. They're in His hands. And, you know, as parents, that's probably the thing we might fear most. But if God is for us, who can be against us? We don't need to be dismayed. We don't need to be afraid because God is with us wherever we go. So responding to God's call, he's been called by God to a very daunting task. The Lord has encouraged him. How is he going to respond? We're going to finish here in just a few minutes. Now watch what it says. How does he respond? Then Joshua went away and meditated on it for a few years until things were more convenient. Is that what it says? Oh, the Lord's calling me. Well, let me pray about it. You know, I've got kids now, and I, you know, when they get older, and if I get my finances in order, and you know, as soon as I, you know, aren't there a bag of excuses why we can't serve God? There's a bunch of excuse, bunch of reasons why. Well, I'm frail. I'm weak. Well, praise God. That means God can use you. Amen. Amen. Look what He says. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the camp, command the people, saying, Prepare the provisions for yourselves, for within three days you will cross over this Jordan to go in and possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Did he get the message? He heard from God and he got him and said, Guys, we're going. Get your stuff. We're going in three days. Get your stuff together. God promises to land and we're headed off. You know what? That's the guy you want to follow, isn't it? 
Because he's heard from the Lord, he's sure of it, and he's ministering to the people. You know, there's a saying that a mist in the pulpit is a fog in the pew. That might not mean anything to you guys, but here's what it means to us pastors. It means if I am even slightly confused about what I'm trying to teach you, you're going to be really confused about what I'm trying to teach you. Amen? If, I, if God hasn't made it a part of me, if, it, if I don't understand it clearly, well, the same is true with Joshua and his calling. If he doesn't grasp what his calling is, it's going to come out like he doesn't grasp what his calling is. Well, guys, I talked to God, and I'm not sure what we ought to do next. Okay, great. Thanks, Joshua. Thanks for helping. Well, we should either go over or stay. Why don't we get a committee together and vote on it? That's not calling, amen? He gets up and says, get the guys together, get the officers, get your stuff, we're going. Praise God. Joshua, you got it, amen? He's got vision. God's called him. He's responding in obedience. He delivers God's word into their hands with boldness and clarity. He's not ashamed of it. And he tells them, you know what, it's been 40 years we've been waiting, today's the day. Get your stuff together. Three days from now, we're heading in. Verses 12 through 15. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh, Joshua spoke, saying, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is giving you, the re- giving you rest and has given you this land. Your wives and your little ones, your livestock, shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan. But you shall pass over before the brethren, armed, all your mighty men of valor, and help them. Until the Lord has given your brethren rest as he gave you, and they also have taken possession of the land the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and enjoy it, which Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you on this side of the Jordan toward the sunrise. If you guys remember the story just real quickly, they didn't go into the land of promise. Two and a half tribes, they defeated the enemies, Og and Sihon. They looked out, they saw that the grass was green. They thought, man, there's enemies over here. The enemies here are already dead. There's big fortresses here. We can feed our cows here. Why should we go into the land of promise? Let's just stay where it's comfortable. And so that's what they did. And God allowed them to stay. Why? Because God will never force you to go any place that you aren't willing to go. And so what happened was they camped outside there. We know later that their their cattle turned to pigs. And we know that they were the first tribes to turn to paganism because they didn't step out. But I want you to notice quickly from these verses that they still had to go fight the battle. Because even if you stay where it's comfortable, you're still going to face trials. Even if you won't step out in God's perfect will and go for it with the Lord, the trials are still going to come. So if they're going to come, they might as well come with me in the center of God's will. Amen? They might as well come with me stepping out in faith and being bold for the Lord. They might as well come because I'm walking in obedience, not because I'm living in rebellion. Because if I'm walking in obedience and they come, then God knew they were coming and He's with me. Amen? And so they had to go in, and again, sadly, they did still go back. Now, notice it says, until the Lord has given your brethren rest. That's a word for us in the church today, that just because you're comfortable doesn't mean you shouldn't be looking out for those who aren't. Okay, you found your place of rest, they haven't, go minister to them. Last three verses. So they answered Joshua, saying, all that you commanded us, we will do, and wherever you send us, we will go. Well, what happened here? What happened was Joshua responded to God's calling. He spoke what God told him to say with great boldness, and the people responded. If Joshua had been up there going, I'm not really sure what we should do, how do you think the people would have responded? 
But because he had heard from the Lord, because he was faithful, because he was bold, and I love what he says, he reminds them of the words of Moses. He takes them back to the word. Remember what the word says? You guys need to do that. Remember the word of Moses? You guys need to keep it. The children of Israel recognized Joshua's calling and commit to walk in obedience to his commands. Just as we heeded Moses and all the things, so we will heed you. Only the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. They identified that he indeed was God's choice. When they said, only the Lord be with you, they're not mentioning this as a condition of obedience, but as a reason that they're willing to obey him. We're not obeying Joshua, we're obeying God, and Joshua's just the tool he's using. Amen? It's not about following a man, it's about following the Lord. Whoever rebels against your command and does not heed your words and all that you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and of good courage. You know what? Joshua's calling was so sure. He heard God's voice so clearly that when he delivered the word, the people said, that's it. That's God. That's the Lord right there. I hear it. I recognize his calling. And you know what? Joshua, whatever you tell us, we're going to do it because you're God's man. And you're God's man that's been raised up for us to follow. And we're going to follow you with our whole heart. Matter of fact, if somebody doesn't follow, we're going to kill them. Whoa. Again, responding to God's call. The Lord appoints Joshua to succeed Moses. The Lord then encourages Joshua and promises to be with him. Joshua is faithful to deliver God's word to the people. He's obedient to what God's called him to do. The people promise to obey Joshua. That's the fruitfulness of Joshua's obedience to his calling. And then lastly, here's my question for all of us as we pray. How have you responded to God's calling upon your life? How have you responded? Guys, if you're saved, you're called. Amen? Every one of you has a gift. God's called all of you. How have you responded? May we be in prayer about that this week. May we meditate on the word. May we ask for the pouring out of the spirit upon our lives. May we cross over the Jordan. May we have all that God has for us. May we not be, again, afraid to step out in faith. If we do, God will do great and awesome things. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you, Lord, for your love and your grace. We thank you, Lord, that you will never leave us nor forsake us. We thank you that you're such a faithful and a loving God. Help us, Lord, to not be satisfied with less than your highest. Help us, Lord, not to be so comfortable in the world that we have no heavenly focus whatsoever. Help us, Lord, to seek first your kingdom, to delight ourselves in you. Lord, I pray for people all around the room that even now, as they pray, that, you, Lord, you reveal clearly to them the calling you've placed upon their lives. As they get up this week and spend time in your word, may you speak to them from your word and reveal to them the calling you've placed upon their lives. Lord, for each of us, all of us in this room that you've called, as you reveal our calling, may we respond the way Joshua did, by faith. May we not run away from the calling, but run to it. Lord, may our lives count for eternity. Lord, may you use us to turn Santa Cruz right side up. Lord, this place needs you so desperately. Father, we want to be tools in the hands of our Master. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.